good girl. Love the mess. I watch the swirl of smoke from candles burning. While Mary looked up yearning, I got confirmed and I confessed. I really felt that I was blessed. Plus, I love my uniform. So did the boy who lived next door. But something changed when I became of age. And all those things I thought were true, someday I'd break the big time. And this is Free Thought Radio Hour. Excuse me, take a minute to catch up there. Um, I'm Larry Rhodes. Uh, this is WOZO Radio 103.9 FM, uh, low power FM that is, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, our call in number, if we'll be taking calls this, this hour, um, the call in number is 333-5937. And, um, Missing a few beats because I'm trying to adjust the levels and all that while I'm talking. Uh, the Free Thought Radio Hour. Uh, I'm Doubter Five. Uh, we'll be talking about atheism, free thought, rational thought, humanism, and the sciences. Conversely, we'll also talk about religion, religious faith, God, holy books, and superstitious superstitions. Despite what Steve Martin might have you think, there are a lot of atheist songs, and you'll be hearing some of them right here on this program. Tonight, we have a special guest, Kevin Scott. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, it's good to be here. I understand you're an atheist who used to preach the gospel. I did uh, for for quite a while. Um, Wrote for some Christian publications, Christianity Today and Guideposts and and some different publications that people may have heard of. Um, Helped plant a number of churches and uh, through a pretty long process, Gave up my faith. Um, we'll be talking about deconversions tonight because I'm sure many of our audience would be wondering how a preacher could lose his faith. Uh, someone who's in the business, basically, of reinforcing the faith of others. Um, and we'll also be talking about church-state separation. Uh, would you like to go into that a little bit? Uh, like, I, like I said earlier, the phone lines are open, 333-5937. Uh, how did you deconvert from Christianity? Back in 2000, um, my my wife at the time was seriously ill, and I was also working pretty consistently, um, you know, sixty-hour weeks kind of things, and and I felt that I couldn't continue to do the things in the church that I was doing and take care of my wife and and two you know, growing sons at that time. So I made the decision to stop working with the church, but not, I didn't give up my Christianity, but I, I felt that my family was a priority then. And over a period of time, a number of things happened. I, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, Larry. I mean, it's, I get into as, as much as, much as, as, much, uh, as you're comfortable with. Well, we had helped plant a church in uh, southeastern Kentucky, and that church uh, grew and, and was successful in the sense that it had numbers. It was a viable church after we'd been there for several years. 
And at the end of that time, um, or, or at that time when it had become viable and was, was doing well, was when, when my ex-wife got sick. And so I felt that it was a good point for me to move on to something different. I didn't, uh, wasn't going to go work at a church, uh, because I, I didn't feel like I could, if I couldn't do it at the church I was at, I couldn't do it at a different one. Yeah. But, um, after, after going to a church, just attending a church, not working in the church, not doing the worship team and the different things that I did, um, it gave me more time uh, to be home and to explore some things I'd been interested in. Back in the 90s, I read Darwin's Black Box by uh, Michael Behe, and it introduced me to the idea of intelligent design. Before I went to Bible college, my background was that I was really interested in math and science and those types of things and so I wanted to I wanted to find out how evolution dovetailed with with Christianity and with the Bible's understanding of, of creationism. But what would make you turn to science? I mean before that I'm sure that you would turn to your preacher or you would turn to another preacher and ask them and most of the inquiries from the flock uh, would stop at that point. But you were no longer actively in church at that point. Well, Is that what you're I saying? Mean, no, I, no I, very few ministers care much about evolution. It's not a topic that... that no, but they have ready a- answers that generally stop um, stop the inquisitive. No, not usually. I, I mean, I, I don't know no, that the I answer I mean asked. is faith. You know, have faith. Well, no, but that's but that's not what it is. When Behe came out with his book, one of the reasons that it was such a big thing for Christians was because... Like like most things in Christianity, we assume somebody has figured that difficulty out. Behe's book, whether you read it or not, was, was very um, was very well known throughout Christian circles, throughout evangelical circles. <laughs> so, like so many things in Christianity, without reading the book or without looking at the science or anything like that, people just kind of accepted oh, good, well, somebody did figure that out. Somebody who's smart about evolutionary biology already figured that out, so I don't need to worry about that. So if somebody says, well, evolution and the Bible are incompatible, I, I don't need to talk about that because it's already been figured out. People smarter than me have right. run the research. Right. And and there are a lot of things like that in Christianity. And, and So what I did, though, was because I was interested in understanding the science behind it, and I had some time to do that, I went over to a forum that discussed the science of evolution. There's scientists there that that would answer your questions and, and they would ask you questions. I mean, it was a forum. It was a back and forth. And I went there and I spent about six months trying to understand why people say that intelligent design is not science. And And after I went there and was honestly questioning and so on, after a long enough period of time, I began to understand that the people who were behind the intelligent design movement were either incompetent, otherwise they they didn't know that they weren't doing science, but they weren't doing science, or they were, you know, deluded, or they were intentionally lying to people. I didn't mm-hmm. know which the, which of those three it was. But they were deluded or dishonest. 
Yeah, or incompetent. Incompetent. Yeah. Um, just in case, I know there are an awful lot of people out there that are internet savvy, but again, there are a lot of people that are in religious bubbles and don't have much contact with uh, the outside world or even internet forums. Would you take just a second to uh, explain what a forum is? Oh, sure, yeah. So in this case, and, and you can go there and visit yourself if you want, it's antievolution.org. Don't let the name throw you. It's it's actually populated by people who uh, have done the science and who do the science every day of evolutionary biology, and and they actually have answers. Um, so what it what an internet forum is? It's a place where you can go. It's a website you can go to where you can uh, type in questions, type in comments. Uh, if you if you're familiar at all with Facebook, it would it would kind of be like Facebook in the sense that there are posts and then you can comment on those posts and other people can comment on those posts. But typically with typically with <clears throat> typically with uh, a forum, it's a much more discussion oriented process than just hey, I, I really like that picture of your dog. And it doesn't seem to be as much bashing on forums. The uh, to me, it's it's more intellectual than like Facebook, who anybody Tom, Dick, and Harry jump on right, there and, right. and troll. Right. Uh, there are sites that you can go to uh, that are not uh, like that one, in that this is like a monolithic type of uh, topic that you go to this site for. There are other sites that you can go to that that cover dozens and dozens of topics. You just go to the forum site, type in the topic that you'd like to have a discussion on, and it will take you to that that type of forum, or there may be more than one, that you can jump in and start your discussion at that point. Yes, yes, yeah, without question. Uh, but this one is is really dedicated to is really mm. dedicated to evolution. Yeah, and the important thing is to when you get somebody's opinion on the internet, you research it yourself. You don't. There are a lot of people out there that are shoveling disinformation as much as people are shoveling information or trying to disseminate information. You need to take the responsibility on your own shoulders to do your own research and find out what the truth is, which is what you did. Uh, it at is, that point, it is, and and when I when I found out that that people who should have known better and who claimed to know better were being dishonest, um, I then began to look at other places in my Christianity where I had just accepted uh, an answer that because you know from the time I was in Bible college all all the way through, there are certain people you look to and you respect and you say, well, this guy really knows his stuff because mm-hmm. everybody says he knows his stuff, so. I started looking at other things where I just accepted the the party line, I guess. You know, this is this this little problem in the Bible isn't a problem because of this thing or mm-hmm. whatever. And after after a long period of time I began to say, Well, you know, maybe I still believe in the supernatural world, I still believe in a God. I'm not really sure that the Bible is the whole revelation of who that God is. And then from there, I eventually got to where I started saying, well, the Bible is several men's. I mean, it's been written by a lot of different people, but it's several people's description of how they saw God. And then I got to the place where I I began to discount the supernatural simply because every other time we see a supernatural, supposed supernatural occurrence today, we find a ready Physical explanation for it. 
There's some reason why it happened. Yeah, but there are still a multitude of people who are ready to jump on the supernatural one with or without evidence. Right. Well, I mean, the, it, it is, we all have our blind spots. We all suffer from confirmation bias, and, and so that's, that's just part of it. But for me, I could find no reason to have a belief in anything supernatural. Um, there are things that we don't have explained in the natural world, but at one time we didn't have lightning explained in the natural world, and we thought that was Thor. Or, you know, I mean, it's right. just so, so. So you start. You know, at some point you say, "Well," and I think uh, Neil Tyson said this. He he said that that if God is simply a smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, receding pocket of scientific uh, yeah, knowledge yeah. or ignorance. Yeah, that was it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's often quoted, but yeah. I didn't. I haven't quoted yeah. it before. That, that that's the idea that I just came to the conclusion that it makes no sense to say, okay, God didn't do this thing, this thing, or this thing that I that people used to think He did, but He still does these three things. Mm-hmm. Um, Soon it'll be two, yeah, and then it'll be one, yeah, and so and there'll be always be things about the universe we don't understand. Well, the, the thing but, that always gets me was that God did it. It doesn't give you any more information about how it occurred. I mean, you say, okay, yeah. uh, Johnny did it, but it doesn't say how Johnny did it, how how he went about doing it, what's involved in it, what actually happened doing it. Right. Uh, it gives you, it conveys no information, and that's what science is all about: getting information about the natural universe. Right, and and I think too for me. It had to do with looking at life through a different lens. And there were some difficult things about that. One of the things that was difficult was I always believed throughout my entire life from the time I was probably five uh, that God was looking out for me. All of a sudden, and, and based on that faith, that, that idea that God was looking out for me, I was able to go into uh, Appalachia and, and build some churches, do some things that would have terrified me if it was just me. Mm-hmm. But I believed it was God in me, and I figured God was big enough to do anything. Well, if you come to a place where you recognize that faith is not going to be a part of your life anymore, then all of a sudden that confidence you had that God had your back, yeah, that's gone. Yeah. And so that was a difficult transition. Um, and and. That's something I think a lot of atheists who maybe have always been atheists, maybe they, or, or, or people who didn't have a, a tremendous faith, you know, maybe they went to church, maybe they had faith, quote unquote, but they didn't have to step out on their faith. They didn't depend on their faith for their day to day. Right. Um, uh, you know, they, it's a different thing. Yeah. Have you ever heard of uh, Julia Sweeney? Heard of any, oh, yeah. any of her yeah. works? She said that one of the problems that she had when she lost her faith was that. Um, not only did God not have her back anymore, but that her brother who died, she'll never see him again. Right. You know, and that this other guy who died, you know, and then eventually she came around to thinking, dang, one day I'm going to die. And, and, and all of these, did. all of these are realizations that you have to come to terms with, uh, when you're an atheist. They're not pleasant terms, but they're honest terms. One of these days you are going to die. Uh, all the people in the world today are not going to live forever. And the people that have died up till now, you will not see again. These are hard facts. But it's something that once you learn to live with it and deal with it yourself, it's not crippling anymore. Uh, you don't have to worry about your your loved one or your brother or something spending an eternity in hell. 
um, that one to me was one of the greatest boons of, of not having to believe in Christianity anymore. Yeah, I think for me it was funny because I, I actually thought that it would bother me to not have eternity. Um, for me, it gave me a great amount of peace that the here and now is what I've got. And, and there isn't something I'm working for <clears throat> that I, that I won't see realized here. Yeah. Um, and I, that's not a very good explanation of it, but. Robert yeah. G. Ingersoll, uh, the way I look at it is, he says most Christians can't stand the two hours that they spend in church on Sunday, <laughs> much less an eternity of constant church. I mean, that to me would be mind-numbing. It wouldn't take me long to go insane in a situation like that. Um, I mean, it, it's not just that 10 trillion billion years will pass. It's that 10 trillion billion years will only be the beginning because it will never end, ever. And that that is uh, unconscionable to me. I would rather have, you know, peace and end than look forward to something like that. I think for for me, pretty early, well, I guess when Hawking came out with uh, Brief History of Time, Mm -hmm. I read that and I was still a Christian, you know, still still very much a Christian. That was my whole life. And when he came out with that, I began to wonder if, and this was my kind of philosophy on, on eternity, that we would just not be in time anymore, that time would be just another dimension that we could we could transverse. So the idea of saying a billion years is just the beginning, that didn't have relevance to me. Um, uh, Time has very much relevance to me now um, because I don't think that we're going to transcend time. I just, I don't think that's going to happen. I can't imagine, but there's a lot of things I'm sure about uh, the physical universe that I couldn't imagine anyway. Uh, What was it? I think it was Feynman said that... uh, not only is the universe, or may the universe, oh, I'll get it in a minute, stranger than we can, than we think, it may be stranger than we can think. It may be beyond our ability to think about how strange it is, or. Yeah, I, I look at the, the little child analogy, and you say, you know, a three year old child asks you a question about something complicated that most adults understand, mm-hmm. but being able to explain it to a three year old might be near on impossible. And and so yeah. we use analogies and we use all these kinds of things. But but yeah, I think it's highly possible that there are things that we won't understand until our intelligence increases. Yeah, I'm going to give our voice a break here and play a, a song. This is going to be a glorious dawn by the Symphony of Science, and we'll be back in about three and a half minutes. I'm not very good at uh, singing songs. Here's a try. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Space is filled with a network of wormholes. You might have Somewhere else in space, somewhere else in time, the sky calls to us. If we do not destroy ourselves, we will one day venture to the stars. A still more glorious dawn awaits, not a sunrise, but a galaxy rose, a morning filled. 
our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos in which we float like a boat of dust in the morning sky. But the brain does much more than just recollect. It intercompares, synthesizes, analyzes, it generates abstractions. The simplest thought, like the concept of a number one, has an elaborate logical underpinning. The brain has its own language for testing the structure and consistency of the world. A still more glorious dawn awaits, not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise. A morning filled with 400 billion suns, but a rising of the Milky Way. The sky calls to us. If we do not destroy ourselves, we will one day venture to the stars. For thousands of years, people have wondered about the universe. Did it stretch out forever, or was there a limit? The Big Bang, the black holes, from dark matter to a possible big crunch. Our image of the universe today is full of strange sounding ideas. How lucky we are to live in this time, the first moment in human history when we are, in fact, visiting other worlds. A still more glorious dawn awaits, not a sunrise, but a galaxy rose, a morning filled with 400 billion suns. Rising of the Milky Way, a still more glorious dawn awaits. Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise. A morning filled with 400 billion suns. The rising of the Milky Way. The surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. Recently, we've waded a little way up, and the water seems inviting. And welcome back. This is the Free Thought Radio Hour. I'm Doubter Five. This is also WOZO Radio 103.9 all PFM, Knoxville, Tennessee. The phone lines are open. Hold on. Can never remember to stop the music <laughs> after it's over. The next one always wants to play. Phone lines are open, 865-333-5937. 865 <clears throat> We're going to be talking about church-state separation. Uh, you were talking about how people respond to the that that concept. Well, here in the here in the U.S. and especially in the areas that I'm most familiar with, which is you know Eastern Kentucky for the most part, uh, had a lot of experience in different schools in Eastern Kentucky. Knew a lot of teachers. It's very difficult for, well, going back. The Establishment Clause of the, of, the, of the First Amendment says, you know, we're not supposed to establish a religion. We're not going to establish an official U.S. religion. We're also not going to promote a particular religion. So the idea that we're not going to establish, I think most people understand. I don't think most of my friends who are in the public space would say, oh no, you know, we should have a church that the government owns, runs, whatever. Mm-hmm. However, the promotion of religion, that's where they get tripped up. And so in, in my case, um, 
the almost all of the teachers that my children had growing up went to the same Baptist church. And because of that, there was a lot of promotion of Baptist things. Not just Christian things, but specifically Baptist things. Sectarian things. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so at times when I would say, you know, I don't really want my kids participating in that. Um, In fact, the particular church shared a parking lot with the school. Great. So, so I mean, it was, you know, it was was kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The teachers and administrators really couldn't grasp the concept that when you exclude a child, even if you give them an alternative activity to participate in, so you've got 30 kids doing the religious thing, and the one kid who's, who's, in most cases, parents said, I don't want my kid participating in that, they're shuttled off to the library or whatever to do something different. They don't, I don't think most teachers that I talk to have the concept that, oh, so what we're saying is the typical kids, the normal kids, do the Christian thing, and in this case, the Baptist thing. And the church, the school approved thing. Yeah, and the, then if, the you're, authority if you're a weirdo, thing. then you get sent to the library. Yeah, right. And and it it was a pretty consistent thing. I mean, to the point where that particular church was so pervasive in the school system, everybody from the superintendent on down, um, that when you got out of college and wanted a job in the schools, you went to that church. I mean, that was a that was a pretty standard understood thing. If um, you didn't go to that church, then there's something wrong with you, and you should not be allowed in their system. Well, I think it was more like you develop the relationships with those people. They know you're a good egg, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the problem I have, um, even in addition to that, that's certainly a problem, is that it puts the government or the school or the teacher in a position of choosing one sectarian belief system over another. And we don't want the government in that position. Uh, and let's say that you're you're a Catholic and you happen to move to that that town for a uh, for a job well all of a sudden the entire governmental establishment does not respect your religion does not i mean is we're actively working against your religion you're an outcast and that's not a position that the government should be in they should be representing their citizenry and doing the best job they can for their citizenry well, not, my, not recommending one religion over another in a real world example mm-hmm. from my experience were jewish kids um, because in rural Kentucky, the idea that there just aren't any, there there are very very few, um, very very few people who are practicing Judaism. Okay, so um, and there's no synagogues. There's, not, there's no familiarity with it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Catholicism. There's a there's a Catholic church in most rural Kentucky areas. So there was some familiarity with that. But the idea that that a child needs to be off for Yom Kippur and not be penalized for that any more than than Christian students are penalized for being off on a religious holiday. Right, right. um, That kind of thing was completely lost on the school. Uh, That school. There's another thing going on nowadays in America that um, since In God We Trust is on the money, it's it's the um, U.S. motto now, uh, since it was adopted in like 2000, no, I'm sorry, 1953 or 4, um, some of the city police departments have started putting, right. and their sheriff's department, putting In God We Trust on the cars 
Now, legally, there's nothing we can do about that because it's the U.S. motto. They are sharing the U.S. motto. But at, uh, even at the best point of that, it's non-sectarian. All religions pretty much, pretty much, have God, so they can point to it and say, that's all of us. But it doesn't represent us, the atheist, the non-believer, the, the none who believe in none of the above, or the, uh, the Taoists, the, the Buddhists who live amongst us. Um, it's, it's unconstitutional. It's just we can't find, um, legislatures, legislators who have the backbone to stand up against the majority and get it out of our, our system. Now, in addition to that, some uh, sheriff's department have started putting uh, crosses on their car, which is sectarian, um, which means that it's Christian and not not your religion. It's not Jewish. It's not um, any other uh, religion that that professes a belief in God, like Mormonism. So that's this is where the government, the, with the power of the government, are is selecting one religion over another. Can you imagine if you're a Mormon and you're pulled over by a sheriff's car who's got a, cruc- a Christian cross on the back? How are you going to feel about that? You think you'll get a, an honest shrift from that deputy? No, well, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but. You know, that, that again, it's a promotion of religion, which is clearly a violation of the Constitution. Um, does that mean you gotta, no, okay. Um, I'm trying, I, I don't have any technical expertise, so Larry's in charge of all the technical stuff, but I see flashing lights in front of me, so I, I don't want to go over. Well, I I could say this was a radio, double, W3, I'm sorry, WOZO radio, 103.9 LPFM, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, but I could have done that five minutes from now, too. So. Okay. <laughs> well, I might go on for more than that. No. Yeah. So here's here's what I think about a, a number of things that are going on with that, with that topic. I mean, the, the um, is it the uh, Department of Diversity at, at UT is, is uh, they're taking money out of the, Depart- the, the Department of Diversity in order to fund putting In God We Trust on... Um, that's what I hear. I haven't read much more than that, but that that's a crime to me. I mean, first of all, it's it's general funds that the the university has to be, to spend on its students, and it's it's using those funds to spend on a particular sectarian segment of right. its of its population. Right. Which yeah. well, but here's the here here's what I think about a, a lot of this stuff. We're in a very hotly Debated presidential, hotly contested presidential election right now. Uh-huh. So we know from elections over the last however many you know hundreds of years that that you have to appeal to a base, you have to appeal to people, you have to convince them that they should vote for you. There is a benefit to doing some of these things for politicians. There's a benefit for doing some of these things for leadership, but there's not really a downside that the public sees. So if you're put in a position where somebody recommends, hey, we should put in God we trust on our police cruisers, and that's the national motto, and Christians are being, you know, Christians are being persecuted all over the United yeah, States right. and, and all of this, all of this stuff. Uh-huh. So, so if the sheriff says, you know, I don't think that's good, and I don't think it, it certainly doesn't seem to fit the spirit of the Constitution, whatever, whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. um, that's a real risky position for him to take. It's a lot easier for him to say, yeah, okay, fine. 
Yeah. You know? It's it's like when the, the coach brings his uh, team out on the field and says, okay, take a knee. And he has all of his team kneel down while he leads them in prayer. What's what's going to be your position on the team going forward if you say, oh, sorry, not me, I'm over here, forget that. Well, that's true. And, and, all and of a sudden you're in the second string or the third string. That particular thing happened, I'm sure you know that. I know, it does yeah, happen. It, no, I mean it happened recently and there was a, there was a lawsuit over it. Mm-hmm. And I have the details in front of me. But it ended up that the, that the students could still pray. And student-led prayer is fine. Mm-hmm. That's been ruled constitutional. Right. And that's not government endorsement of prayer. Right. Right. But the, but the, the coach couldn't lead the prayer and couldn't be involved. He's in a prayer. government representative. Right. And, and the interesting thing was that while the kids could still pray, it was considered a terrible thing by the coach and by a lot of the parents that this coach was excluded from that. Well, that's why we have these kinds of laws because you don't want to have you don't want to have any particular religion being fostered on your on your kids without you know from a government employee. Right. And that and that government employee could be. You know, he could he could be a Christian, but he could also be, you know, any number of faiths. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and more and more likely, I mean, because of the increasing population of Islam, he could be a, a Muslim. Right. And how would you feel about that? Well, we have an example of what happens when a religious majority becomes the uh, when when a certain religion has a majority of the population, like in a school district, and so on. Um, in New York, right now, there are areas of New York where the Hasidic population is so high that they are all the school board members, they're all the elected officials, and so all the government, the, the people that are being taxed, they pay property taxes just like everybody else. Yeah. That money is being used to fund religious education. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, you can send your, your kids to a religious school. I mean, that is allowed. I mean, right. there are, there are uh, secular schools all over America. If you want to homeschool your kids, Right. And and uh, and teach them your religion. That's fine too. I mean, when I say that's fine, I mean that's legal. You can do that. However, <coughs> um, to do that, you're keeping them in a bubble that they will isolate socially isolate your children from from the regular public school um, environment, which you can um, judge the pros and cons of that yourself. One thing about uh, taking religion into the government sphere is, if you'll notice these days, most most cities and county governments, but even even state governments, don't have a lot of money. I mean, they're strapped to do the things they knew, need to do for their citizenry. And if you start taking that that position that your government, whether it's city, county, or state, or federal, for that matter, but particularly these strap-sitting county governments, and start putting things like crosses on your your vehicle, your government vehicles, or leading prayer in your classroom, you're opening yourself up for suits, legal suits. Um, there's one. There was a letter to the editor in the Knox News uh, Sentinel recently. Uh, the title of it was "Religious Education." I'm sorry, "Religious Legislation is Costly for Taxpayers." And it says that on March 29th, the front page of the New Sentinel featured a headline that read, The state owes $2 million in gay marriage case. The state must pay the legal fees of three couples who challenged Tennessee's same-sex marriage ban. 
On the blank, on the back side, we learn that the state senator, Steve Sutherland, is renewing his push to have the Bible designated as Tennessee's official state book. Again, this is government taking the position that one religion over all others is, is best or good or valid, and you open yourself up to civil suit. The state is now $2 million poorer for having uh, uh, a discrimination law that uh, discriminates against gays. How many other religious-based laws do we are we trying to push? In particular, we're trying to push the Bible as a state book. Well, why not the Koran? Why not um, a Pearl of um, Great Price, Mormonism? There are a hundred um, holy books out there that could be considered to be the state book. All of them are in a position to sue the state if we if we pass this law that says the Bible is. But it doesn't seem to bother some legislatures. I guess they think that the state is made out of money. We don't have to worry about it. Well, and I think, too, it's, uh, as a group, we're going to function, there are outliers, but we're going to function in a pretty homogenous fashion. And so if the vast majority of people, and this would be true of any religious group in anywhere in the world, if the vast majority of people share the same religion, they're going to want that, they're going to want that to be the dominant attitude throughout the community. Mm -hmm. And, I was just reading here, you know, Governor Abbott in Texas, because uh, you said something about crosses on the on the police cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Governor Abbott is trying to get crosses put on police cars in in, in and government vehicles, not just police cars, mm-hmm. in Texas. Well, you know, the vast majority of people are not opposed to that because it fits their narrative. Right. It, mm-hmm. But but we're getting to a place where there's more and more diversity. There's more and more. There are more and more people of no faith. There are more and more people of various faiths. There's certainly not Christian faiths. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to accept that, then we we can't be be we the, the long before the Constitution was ever written, long before the First Amendment, back in the 1600s, religious leaders began to recognize that in in what would become the New World and in, in the New World, but in what would become the United States. That it would be a dangerous thing for the government to to endorse a particular religion. Yeah, for sure. And so, and and, and those were religious leaders. They understood yeah. that for religion to flourish, that was going to have to be a part of, of what right. Most later. most people today don't realize that the founding fathers one didn't want religion in government for that reason. But they don't also realize that the main reason that they were being pushed in that direction was from the religious leaders. They were afraid that the Church of England would would move in and and say this is going to be the church for the new United States. Uh, There's another one. um, I can't remember the name of it. The Congregationalists, I think, uh, were were worried about that. as and, were the Quakers and, yeah. and and the First Baptist Church in the right. New World. And that is still going on. It's just that all of them, instead of saying, we don't want religion in, in government, they're all saying, we want our religion in government. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you may have some uh, some number of people pushing for it, but as soon as it gets in, you're going to have ten times that number saying, we don't want that religion right. in there. Right, right. You know? Well, and, and here, I mean, here we still have uh, blue laws. We still blue laws for those of you 
who may not be familiar with it are just laws that were designed to make the exercise of a particular religious belief easier for people or to enforce moral codes that that were religiously based, not societally based. So, for instance, um, there are certain hours of the day where uh, a liquor store can't be open. Right. You know, and... I, uh, I remember that when you... They weren't open on Sundays, and it wasn't that long ago. And I, I think there was... I know this was true in Chattanooga not that long ago. I don't know if it was ever true here in Knoxville. Um, but you... Walmart had a big sign. This is, My parents lived in Chattanooga yeah. years ago, and they had a big sign that said, we are open 24-7 except... We can't be open 24-7 because we can't open till noon on Sunday. And there used to yeah. be a lot of laws like yeah. that. Um, yeah. But, I mean, uh, it used to be that you couldn't even buy beer, which is normally sold in, in uh, grocery stores. You couldn't buy that on Sunday. And now, and then it moved down. You couldn't buy it until noon. And now it's like you can, you can buy it after 10 o'clock. But the blue laws, some of them are still in place, and we, right. we just need to fight those. And it's not just alcohol. I mean, there are a lot of other things too. Um, you can't, in some cities in America, you can't buy nails on Sunday. You can buy a hammer, but you can't buy nails. It's because they don't want you doing any work on Sunday. Right. It's just, it's crazy. But, I, but I think all of these things, in, in honesty, I see a lot of, a, a lot of positive movement. I do think that our elected officials are always going to have that risk benefit kind of, you know, analysis. Uh, going on. So it's going to be difficult for them to be the leaders in saying this matters, this doesn't matter. But I think one of but the But we have laws that say that. I mean, well, I guess you're maybe talking about those. the people who create the laws. Well, but I, but, well, we have, have the Constitution, which is, right. predates any of the laws. Uh-huh. But, but if you look at, if you look at how quickly gay marriage became legal in all 50 states, nobody, I, I don't believe anybody predicted that would happen that quickly. And we had at the time we had a, a significantly conservative Supreme Court, so we'll, we'll see what happens with the new Supreme Court justice. But the reality is the the appetite that Americans now have for religious extremism, and I don't mean that in the you know in just just the Muslim extremists or something. I'm, I'm saying even Christians who who make these huge statements, um, the tolerance they have for that is going way way down. Um, you look at you look at uh, some of the people that you know are saying these outrageous things now. They lose popularity when they say these outrageous things. Yeah, the you would think so. In the United States, yeah. although are, Trump is saying some of these things and he's gaining possibility, uh, popularity. Um, of course, he's saying those when he's running against uh, an ultimate evangelical Christian who he's trying to get the vote from. <coughs> My voice is going south. I'm going to take a little break here, and we're going to play Sunday in Reality by Cynthia Carl. We'll be back in about three minutes. I come to the garden alone. There's a strange-looking guy by the tree. He's talking to someone, but nobody's there. This creeps me out, so I flee. I pick up some Cheetos and Mexican beer and head home where my books wait for me. I get crumbs in the bed and annoy my companion that Sunday in reality. Sunday in reality. Sunday in reality. 
prophets, no preachers, no cross-legged teachers, just Dawkins, Sam Harris, and me. Most of my friends really seem to exist. I don't think they're imaginary. There's one on the couch since his wife threw him out, and that's Sunday in reality. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, so I called up the ACLU. There was screaming and hate mail and death threats and such. It was clearly the right thing to do. If the faithful had faith, would they jam all those crosses into hilltops to force you to see? No, they'd softly and tenderly call you to join them that Sunday in reality. Sunday in reality. Sunday in reality. No prophets, no preachers, no cross-legged teachers, just Dawkins, Sam Harris, and me. I have guilt, I have shame, but it's all in my name. No one dies for my sins except me. And I'm not off the hook for a few Hail Marys, and that's Sunday in reality. Sunday in reality. No prophets, no preachers, no cross-legged teachers, just Doc and Sam Harris and me. I get this weird feeling I'm not being watched. I get this weird feeling I'm free. Come up to the house and we'll jam after dinner that Sunday in reality. Sunday in reality. If I can remember to stop the song now. Okay, that was Sunday in Reality by Cynthia Carl. And time for a few announcements, I guess. Uh, first, we'd like to talk about the Atheist Society of Knoxville. I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's founded in 2002, so it's, what, 14 years old now. It has uh, 500 and almost 600 members now, most of them um, on the mailing list, but we have maybe 80 or 90 full-time members that are dues-paying members. Uh, you can find it online at knoxvilleatheist.org, and you can join them at their meetup in the Old City every Tuesday at Barley's Taproom and Pizzeria. Everybody's welcome, as long as you don't preach, proselytize, provoke, or punch. Apologies to Matt <laughs> Dillahunty. Um, but you're a member of Atheist Society. Yeah, no, I really, I really enjoy the Tuesday night group. We get together, and, and yeah, sometimes we will talk a little bit about religion. Most of the time, though, we just hang out and get to know one another, get to know if you're an atheist like, like me, if you're an atheist like me, <laughs> um, if you're an atheist like me, you need relationships with people that we all need relationships with people. Sometimes the easiest people to have relationships with, though, have, are, are, have strong faith and are 
threatened by atheism or they, you know, for whatever reason, in my case, I don't, I'm not a very out atheist in my business because it would cost me a good deal of money. A lot of my clients are, are committed Christians. So uh, the Atheist Society of Knoxville, when they meet on Tuesday night, gives me a chance to go meet new people who, who share my lack of faith but still have all the social connections and the things that you would normally get in a church or whatever. Hmm. And then we do fun things. Like this last week, we played Cards Against Humanity. Um, we're going to do that again in a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, it's it's a it's a great group. Nice people. Um, well, except that one guy. <laughs> He's kind of a jerk. Yeah. But most, mostly nice I'm kidding. But, uh, no, I'm not kidding. No, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> But, no, he, but, but he's not an atheist. <laughs> no, no, I, I was actually, I, I, that was, no, that was the joke. The joke was that I was, never mind. Okay. Um, we had one, uh, but that, that, younger creationist who would come by and preach at us. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's getting to be quite a community. Uh, when you come down there, you don't be surprised if you see 30, 35 people there, uh, all chatting and carrying on, uh, the best well, I wouldn't say that's the best part of it, but one difference is that uh, when you meet at church, you usually don't have beer <laughs> or pizza. That's true. Yeah, so uh, you may have Cokes and pizza, I guess, but it's uh, it's a good, good group of people. Uh, the more you know them, the more you like them, so come on down. Uh, there's also the Rationalists of East Tennessee. They've been around for over 20 years. Uh, RET has bi-weekly, bi-monthly presentations and discussions. They meet on the uh, first and third Sunday at the Goins Administration Building, Cafeteria Annex, at uh, the Pellissippi State Campus near Hardin Valley Road. Uh, you can just go there and follow the signs on Sunday, uh, first and third Sunday, that is. But you probably need to go to their website, rationalist.org, and click on directions, and it will tell you all about it, how to get there. There's also a group called the Sunday Assembly, which started in England just a couple of years ago, and has spread around the world. It's a no-God church setting for those who have had enough of religion, lost their faith, but still like the fellowship of a church-type gathering. It meets on the fourth Sunday of each month in uh, downtown area. You'll have to go to Google and do Sunday Assembly uh, search, Sunday Assembly Knoxville, to find out more particulars about it. There, Then there's the Humanists of East Tennessee, which is close as it gets to an atheist singles group in Knoxville. They meet many times a month, a couple times a week sometimes, uh, for dinners, hiking, swimming, picnics, and community work. You can find them at Meetup as well. Just search, search for Humanists of East Tennessee. Now, if you're a student living in the Bible Belt, you know that you can be a kind of lonely existence. So you can search out the Secular Student Alliance, which has pre- programs to give camaraderie and community to any free-thinking high school or college student uh, who would like to be involved in the free thought movement or just find secular companionship in the Bible Belt. Uh, we have about ten minutes left in the show. Uh, is there anything you'd like to get into there, Kevin? Well, I could I could do a sermon. Uh, show us your sermon style. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know my sermon style is pretty much like this. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Well, what I did that. Yeah. What I did that. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there there are a couple things that I think I, I'm I'm going to assume that most of the people listening to this are probably atheists. Um. So there are a few things that I hear from other atheists that are not as common in in 
my in evangelical Christianity, at least in the circles I ran in, than than what I think most atheists think they are. Like evolution, evolution is is not something that a pastor spends any time really thinking about. Um, there are some who do, and there are things that sometimes become an issue because you know some will ask you why is the Commonwealth of Kentucky you know, putting so much tax money into the ARC project or the Creation Museum. Mm-hmm. Th- those are those come up. Those kinds of things come up. Um, but most pastors I know don't spend much time thinking about that kind of thing. They just, like other things, they just kind of assume that it's it's settled. And most Christians rarely ask about those kinds of things either. They kind of have the same assumption that everything's settled. Um, most Christians today are pretty much live and let live. Now, that's with one glaring exception. I, I think we both, I'm sure you saw it, I know I saw it, The there were a couple surveys done recently that, that basically showed that people's perception of atheists is similar to people's perception of race, uh, rapists in terms of Oh, the level of morality. Yeah. Acceptance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think one of the things that a lot of atheists miss because I hear this a lot. A lot of atheists say something like, I can't understand why Christians would think just because I'm an atheist I don't have morals. Well, I understand why they think that. Um, the reason they think that is because when, when a, you know, as a young man, I mean, I always went to church. My parents took me to church and then the reason went to you, church. The reason you went was because I wanted you to have good morals. Right. But the reason we were given for everything, so whether it was not murdering somebody or not having bad thoughts, the same reason was always given. It was sin. So in in my case, I understood there were other reasons to be moral and good. But for a lot of Christians, if they they would go, they would cheat on their spouse. They would cheat on their taxes. They would do whatever if the the God in, the big guy in the sky wasn't watching. Right. And so when I left Christianity, I did go through a phase not of not of being immoral, but of trying to figure out, okay, what are my real morals? Mm-hmm. Because it's not equal. You know, Saul was told to commit genocide. King Saul was told to commit ge- genocide. He chose not to for r- reasons that were maybe selfish, but still, he chose not to. Uh-huh. So then God rejected him as king and chose David to commit genocide and said, he's a man after my own heart. Now, by any objective measure, we look at that and we go, well, that's not, that's not good. We don't think genocide's a good thing. But in, in terms of the, in terms of religious morality, well, that fit into that particular religious morality. And, and so it really blurs the lines of what's moral. Once you get out of that, then you have to go through a process of saying, okay, so I always didn't, I didn't do this thing, but is that because it was really bad or is that because the Bible said don't do it? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and kind of figuring that out. So I think that, I think that a lot of Christians just, just haven't gotten to that place yet because they're still Christians. They haven't gone through the thing of, oh, I do have morals that have nothing, I'm not going to kill and murder and rape and do those things because I'm a member of a society where other people are value. You know, I value other right. people, and other people value me. Uh-huh. You know, and, right. and so minimize harm uh, is putting it simply. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think the golden rule is is a good rule of you know do to others what you'd have them do to you. All right. You know, mm-hmm. and but uh, I think Confucius said it better. He says, "Don't do to do to others what you wouldn't have done to yourself," which I think is it's. it's I mean, you you may be a masochist and you would like you like pain, so you wouldn't want to go around causing other people to you know pain. But um, the thing about moral morality is you can you can show pretty quickly uh, that most Christians don't go to the Bible for morality in in reality because they pick and choose what they right. what they uh, think is good what they what they go by in in the Bible like you if you ask a, a regular run of the mill Christian if they they would kill homosexuals they say no would you kill a, a non virgin on a wedding night and they'd say no. You know, even if they said yes, I doubt they would do it. Right. But, uh, but well, there, there are some that, who will. So but Operation Rescue is an example. I mean, right. But in the Bible, it says to do that. Right. So they're choosing not to follow those things in the Bible. So they have to be using a, a standard of morality that's above and different from the Bibles. But I, but I think we do have. I think that this is the thing. I think Christians today, for the most part, mm-hmm. are moving much more toward a, a deist belief or or a you know, they they like the philosophies, uh, some of the philosophies of the Bible, of Jesus of in Jesus, particular, yeah. yeah, and and the rest of it, uh, yeah. you know. Well, you know what Jefferson did, Thomas Jefferson, he threw out the Old Testament. He took the New Testament and threw out anything that was supernatural, all miracles, things like that, and the only thing that was left were the words of Jesus. I mean, if if we could get Christians to do that, that would alleviate an well, entire and, and body way, somebody, of problems. If, if somebody wants to see that, if they if they Google the Jefferson, the Jefferson Bible, Bible, it's online. They can, they can read that. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of the show. It looks like um, we didn't have any calls. Maybe next time. But uh, we're always here with WOZO Radio one hundred three point nine. We're always here on Sunday at six o'clock. One hundred three point nine LPFM, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, and uh, I'm going to leave you with Big Butter Jesus, one of my favorite songs. It's just fun song by Haywood Banks, and we'll see you next week. In southern Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, I beheld a vision. Next to the expressway was a 60-foot Jesus with his hands in the air. Looked like he's carved out of butter, just like at the state fair. <laughs> Big butter Jesus, sweet cream Jesus, old country fresh Jesus. Unsalted Jesus, oh promised Jesus, imperial Jesus, can't believe it's not Jesus, holy oh Lord. Well you see him from the chest up, like he's about to do a backflip. Like he scored a touchdown Or maybe melting or about to drown Well, I've been to the state fair Seen a cow made out of corn cobs Garth Brooks out of string cheese 
and the virgin out of olives. <laughs> Big butter Jesus, sweet cream Jesus, old country fresh Jesus.